Our scripture reading this evening is taken from 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, page 1,399 in the Pew Bible, page 1,399, 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15 and reading through verse 23. First John chapter one, or uh, excuse me, chapter two, chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Thus far the reading of God's Word in conjunction with it, I'd like to read to you from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, on page 877, in the back of the Red Psalter Hymnal. Lord's Day 12, page 877. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. Beloved of the Lord, we read in John's epistle, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That has been one of the 
best summaries of the Christian faith in a single phrase that has come down through the ages. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, No one can say Jesus is the Christ except by the Holy Spirit, meaning no one can confess that and and understand and mean it unless the Holy Spirit is at work in that person's heart. Confessing that Jesus is the Christ is at the heart of the Christian faith. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, and because he claimed to be the Christ of God, the anointed one of God, his enemies put him to death. That confession, Jesus is the Christ, costs Jesus his life, and it indeed has resulted in the martyrdom of many other Christians down through the uh, centuries since the time of Christ. We confess Jesus is the Christ. To deny that is to be a liar. To deny that is to be of the spirit of the Antichrist, to be the enemy of Jesus. To deny that is to not have Jesus and to not have the Father. But to confess Jesus is the Christ is to have both the Father and the Son. Well, our catechism wants us to understand what we mean when we say Jesus is the Christ. Why is he called Christ? Well, he's called Christ because that word means anointed. The word Christ comes from a Greek word. Uh, The word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word. Both the word Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They are synonyms. They both mean anointed. Well, what does this anointing mean? Well, anointing refers to two things, appointment and equipment. Uh, When God anoints someone to an office, he appoints that person to an office. And when he appoints that person to an office, he equips that person for the task to which he has been called. There are lots of anointings in the Old Testament. Moses uh, anointed Aaron to be high priest. Samuel anointed uh, two men to be kings of Israel. First he anointed Saul, and then he anointed David. Uh, There's a a nice uh, history of uh, Jehu, of one of the sons of the prophet being sent to Jehu. And the the prophet takes Jacob inside a tent and pours oil on his head and says, God has anointed you to be king, and uh, then runs away. Uh, This uh, pouring of oil on a person's head was a sign, a sign that God had chosen that person and God had appointed that person. But the, the oil also represented the Holy Spirit being given to that person to equip that person. When the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, uh, the Spirit made him exceedingly strong physically When the uh, Holy Spirit came upon David, he was equipped to be a great warrior. When the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out on uh, uh, Solomon, it gave him uh, great wisdom. When Saul disqualified himself from being king, uh, we read that the Spirit was taken from him. We shouldn't uh, understand that as having anything to do with his salvation, either uh, 
uh, taking it from him or whatever. Uh, it's, it's not his salvation that was taken from him, if indeed he was saved, but uh, it was the gifts for kingship that accompany the anointing for a holy office. When God calls people to office, he uh, anoints them and he equips them. Well, when Jesus was at the Jordan River and received baptism from John, at that same time, God anointed Christ. The Spirit descended on him as a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And at that point, Christ received his anointing. Not uh, with uh, oil poured from an animal's horn, but the Spirit himself in the form of a dove descended on Jesus, indicating that Jesus had been appointed and equipped by God to be our Savior. No one should take office upon himself by his own authority. Uh, We're to acknowledge that God appoints and equips When men are elected to office by the congregation, then we ask them to respond to a question. And uh, one of the questions is, do you believe that you are called of God through, lawfully called of God through the church? God calls. God appoints. He does it through the church, through the means of nomination and election uh, by the congregation, but uh, if the call comes from God, the, uh, it's also indicated uh, when we ordain a minister, we lay hands on him to indicate again that uh, God has uh, appointed this person and God is equipping this person with the Holy Spirit for the work that that, that person is called to do. After Jesus was uh, anointed with the Spirit, we read that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Later on in Scripture, we read that he did miracles by the Spirit. The Spirit equipped him to perform miracles. We also read in Scripture that he offered up his life by the Spirit. The Spirit enabled him to offer that perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was appointed and equipped to be the Savior of the world. Now, his anointing is to a threefold office, the office of prophet, priest, and king. Early on in Scripture, God introduced these offices. In fact, Adam was prophet, priest, and king in the Garden of Eden. Uh, He forsook his office and, uh, like Saul, became disqualified. But God, in grace, continues to call people to be prophets. He called Moses to be a prophet, Aaron to be a priest, and David and his descendants to be a king, and out of David's descendants, a king forever. But Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, all three offices in one. He's called our chief prophet, not just because he gives us the best revelation of the the Father. In him is the fullness of the Godhead and the, the radiance and glory of God and the exact representation of his being, it says in Hebrews 11, uh, or Hebrews 1. Uh, he's 
Uh, he's the exact representation of God, and so he's our chief prophet. But that's, that's not the only reason we call him our chief prophet, because uh, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. He's also our chief prophet because all the other prophets spoke by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. We uh, read about that in First uh, Peter chapter 1. Concerning the prophets, it says, uh, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The Spirit of Christ was in them. And the Spirit of Christ in them was testifying through them of the sufferings and the glory of Christ that would follow his sufferings. In other words, the prophets prophesied that Christ would suffer, like Isaiah 53 uh, talks about the suffering servant. And the, and, the, and the prophets testified that after he suffered, he would be uh, glorified and uh, The prophets were trying to understand what the Spirit of Christ in them was testifying when the Spirit of Christ in them did these things. Again, uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 20, knowing first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit, which is also the Spirit of Christ, was in them, moving them to speak. It wasn't their own ideas that they prophesied, but the words came from the Spirit of Christ in them. So Christ is our chief prophet, not only because he's the, the fullest representation of God, but because all previous prophets also spoke uh, through him. And because uh, uh, Christ is our chief prophet and because uh, he reveals to us all that we need to know for our salvation, uh, what we have from him is perfect and complete. We confess in Belgic Confession Article 7, the entire manner of the service God requires of us is depicted in the Bible and that its teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. The entire manner of service that God requires of us is perfect and complete in all respects. Uh, What does God want you to do? Well, it's made clear in the Bible. Uh, Not every passage of Scripture is as clear as every other passage. Uh, Peter says of Paul's writing, there are some things that are hard to understand, that uh, unstable people twist to their own destruction, but... Uh, because we have the whole Bible and because we have the Spirit also poured out on us, we are able to read the Bible and determine what God wants us to do. Now, that's very important for uh, us to to understand and emphasize because there are a lot of people in the world today, or excuse me, a lot of people in, in various churches today who say that that's not the case. Uh, the United Reform Churches exist in part because uh, our previous denomination denied Belgic Confession Article 7, which says that uh, it's perfect and complete in all respects. <laughs> the scriptures are perfect and complete in all respects. They said, no, that was for the first century. That's not for us. So we have to uh, be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to the churches today. And 
And, and they would often say, well, the scriptures aren't clear and uh, the scriptures are ambiguous and therefore we have to determine for ourselves what to do. And this led to a laying aside of what the scriptures said, clearly said, and uh, adopting things that were contrary to the scriptures. And so we need to emphasize that indeed we have a great prophet, a chief prophet, who makes known to us the will of God for our salvation. And his teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. We uh, have to be careful not to follow mystical contemplations or heartfelt urges or the latest uh, popular uh, opinion poll. Uh, Don't say uh, it it just... uh, this just doesn't feel right. Read something in the Bible and say, oh, this doesn't feel right to me. I, I don't think that, uh, that that's for us. No. Uh, or uh, Debbie Boone, who used to sing, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Well, it can be wrong even when it feels right if it contradicts Scripture. Scripture is the ultimate test by which we know the will of God. We're to listen to the Word and to the Word as it has been uh, explained to us by those whom God has appointed over us in the church and in home and school. Christ has been anointed to be our chief prophet. He's also anointed to be our only high priest. The priest's job was to offer sacrifices, to uh, again and again bring blood into the Holy of Holies so that uh, the people could be assured again and again that their sins had been paid for. The priest would confess the sins of the people while laying his hands upon an animal, and the animal would be slaughtered in place of the people. The sins would be laid on him, on the animal, and then uh, the animal would die in place of the people, and the blood would be brought into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would come out and say, Uh, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been atoned for. God is not angry with you anymore. But the blood of bulls and goats could never truly atone for sin, and so it had to be done over and over again. It pointed and cried out. It pointed to the coming of Christ. It cried out for a better sacrifice, and Christ is that better sacrifice. He's the priest who offers the best sacrifice. He offers himself, the sinless Son of God, offered to God the perfect sacrifice. Isaiah said, God laid on him the iniquity of his of us all. God transferred our sins to Christ. Christ bore our sins and paid for them with his life. And his perfect righteousness, his perfect record is transferred to us so that we are now counted righteous in the sight of God. He alone reconciles you to God. He alone, by his sacrifice of atonement, pays for your sin and propitiates the anger of God, turns aside the anger of God. He is our perfect high priest, our only high priest. And as a priest, he also intercedes for you continually in God's presence, defending you against Satan's accusations. We read in the beginning of the book of Job how uh, Satan goes into God's presence and accuses Job of loving God only because God is good to him. And uh, so God says, uh, no, that's not the case, and and proves it. Uh, poor Job doesn't know anything about that, uh, what's going on in heaven, and uh, you and I don't know what's going on in heaven, except we know this. We know that Christ is there, 
And he is interceding on our behalf, which means he is there as the perfect sacrifice, always in the presence of God, showing uh, God uh, his wounds, as it were, or his blood uh, uh, that covers us so that God is never angry with us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, his presence there is a continual intercession on our behalf. We should never uh, fall back into any kind of legalistic thinking that our good works, that our moral rectitude, that our praiseworthy deeds, that our success in the world, that your strong uh, work ethic or your self-sacrifice and generosity, that any of that earns God's favor or keeps you in God's favor. Even our best deeds are polluted with sin and are filthy rags in the sight of God, and we should never rely on what we do to put us in good stead with God. We have a priest who has done that for us. Jesus Christ was anointed to be our only high priest. And in addition to being our chief prophet and our only high priest, he is our eternal king, which means he governs and preserves us in the freedom that he has won for us. He rules us. He rules us by his word. He rules us by his spirit, writing his word on our hearts, making us desirous to do what is right and good in, in, uh, in God's sight. Oh, there is still that old nature in us that fights against it. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 7, In my inner being I delight in the law of God. I want to do what's right, but there is a, a law of sin at work in my body that uh, fights against it. Uh, the, the flesh fights against the spirit. But God has given us victory. We have the power to overcome sin through Jesus Christ because Christ is our king. Christ uh, uh, gives us strength. He subdues our enemies. He protects his people from evil or uh, so that uh, no one can separate us from the love of God. Our enemies can kill our bodies but they cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What a glorious Savior we have, one who is perfectly reveals the will of God for us, the, uh, the way of salvation, one who has uh, atoned for us so that we are at peace with God and intercedes before God continually and who assures us that he will See us through to the end. He'll bring us into his glorious kingdom. Nothing will be able to prevent that because he is our king. That's what it means that Jesus is called the Christ. But now our catechism reminds us that you also bear the name of Christ. You are called Christian. Why are you called Christian? Well, because Christ lives in you. And because Christ lives in you, you share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Uh, uh, you share in his anointing. We read from First uh, uh, John. Uh, he says, uh, you have, but you, verse 20, First uh, John, John chapter 2, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You also have an anointing. You have been anointed with the Holy Spirit in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
You have been an anointing. You share in Christ, and therefore you share in His anointing, and therefore you are appointed and equipped for the office of believer. You are called and equipped to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. You're called and equipped by God to represent Him in this world. And because Christ's office is a threefold office, and because you share in Christ's anointing, your office, the office of a believer, is a threefold office. You also are called to be prophets, priests, and kings. As prophets, you are called and equipped to confess His name and to make Him known through your life. The Bible says, let your light shine. And letting your light shine means let people know that you're a Christian. Now, how do you do that? Well, some people like to lie, rely on uh, a piece of jewelry to do that. You know, they, uh, they wear a cross, and that says to the world, I'm a Christian. Well, I have no objection to uh, uh, wearing a little cross on a gold chain around your neck if that's uh, what you want to do. But that's not what the Bible means when it says, let your light shine. Letting your light shine means... Let them see your good works. Let them see your good works. Also, uh, it means abstain from joining in the world in their passions and lusts. Uh, abstinence evangelism, uh, some have called it, where we don't join in with them, but uh, show them a different way of life, a life of gratitude, a life of joy, a life of service, a life of caring for others, of loving one another, and even loving our enemies, having compassion for the lost. This is what it means to to let your light shine before the world, that they may see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. Uh, By this shall all men know you are my disciples, says Jesus, by your love for one another. Uh, Don't rely on uh, gimmicks and tricks to let the world know you're a Christian. Let them see you are a Christian and let them hear you are a Christian. Be ready always to give a reason for the hope that is within you. You know, you and I have Bibles and uh, many of you have several Bibles. And if you read the Bible and study the Bible and learn the content of the Bible, particularly the New Testament you know more about the way of salvation than Adam and Eve knew, than Noah knew. You know more than Abraham. You know more than Samuel. You know more than King David. You know more than Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel put together. You know more about the way of salvation than John the Baptist because none of them had the benefit of seeing the Uh, fulfillment of prophecy in the coming of Jesus Christ and his atoning death and resurrection and his ascension. Uh, They had shadows of that in prophecy, but they never never, uh, saw it. And uh, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Therefore, you are equipped with knowledge that verse again from first john or second first john chapter 2 verse 20 you have an anointing from the holy one and you know all things now that's 
in reference to salvation, in reference to the way of faith, uh, you know so much more, and therefore can can be can be prophets in this world, not only by your lifestyle but by your words. You can tell others about Christ. You share in Christ's anointing to be prophets. You also share in Christ's anointing to be priests. Now there is no need for you as a priest or I as a priest to. Uh, offer atoning sacrifices for sin. That's been done once and for all by Jesus Christ. There is no more need for bloody sacrifices. But there are need, there is need for the uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving unto God which is your reasonable service. Uh, This is uh, what God has called you to do. The psalm uh, that we read earlier, Psalm 76, verse 11 says, Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Uh, Making vows is related to making offerings in, in the Old Testament. And what it means is this, when you see what God has done, when you see... God on the throne, judging the wicked and exalting the lowly, then the proper response is for you to make a vow. God, I see what you've done, and so I give myself to you. I offer myself to you. I I offer my life as a living sacrifice to you. Uh, Take a vow of thanksgiving that you will live your life as a thank offering to God in view of all that he has done for you through Jesus Christ. It's also your calling as a Christian to be continually in prayer, to intercede, to intercede for the saints, for the needs of others, to intercede for the needs of this world which is perishing for lack of knowledge. We're called to an intercessory role also as Christ intercedes for us So we, through Christ, intercede on behalf of ourselves and others. God has called you to a priestly calling of offering your life as a living sacrifice and besieging heaven with your prayers. He's called you to be prophets. He's called you to be priests. He's called you to be kings, to reign with him. You're called and equipped to overcome uh, slavery to sin, to to crush Satan under your feet, to have power to cause the devil to flee from you. You're ever to you're able to live in ever increasing strength to obey and follow Jesus until we reign with Him over all creation for all eternity. The Old Testament kings, the greatest of the Old Testament kings, ruled only over a small piece of real estate, but. You and I shall inherit the earth. (laughs) We're called to reign over all creation. As Adam and Eve were given the whole creation to uh, be their realm, so now God calls you and me to reign with him over all creation. We go into all the world to conquer unbelief, to conquer sin, and to call people out of the darkness and into the light. God's will for you is to confess your faith before the world, to submit uh, to Jesus Christ as your chief prophet, only high priest and eternal king, and then go forth as prophets, priests, and kings under him to make him known.
to offer up your life to him and to experience the reality of his victory over sin and over all his enemies. And as you do so, God will equip you for that work. That's part of anointing, not just the call, but the equipping. Whatever he calls you to do, he equips you to do and strengthens you to do more and more. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and that we share in his anointing. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. We thank you that he perfectly reveals to us the way of salvation and gives us a clear word from you to govern our lives. We thank you that he has offered the perfect sacrifice to turn aside your wrath and to give us peace with you. We thank you that he continually intercedes on our behalf, and we thank you that he rules in such a way that nothing will prevent us from coming into the fullness of our salvation. We pray, O Father, that we may go forth in sharing in his anointing to be prophets, priests, and kings in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.